purpose in mind. We're going to a particular destination. Next year, when I leave Aldridge, and I am very sad to say I do now have a leaving date. My last Sunday is Easter Sunday next year, 16th of April. It's going to be a sad day, but on to pastures new. Uh, but when I do leave next year, I'm going to be doing something called the Camino de Santiago de Compostela. And some of you may have heard of that. Others just sounds like a really long list of names. But the Camino de Santiago is actually a 500-mile walk. It's going to take me 33 days through uh, southern France and northern Spain from a place called Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port in southern France through to the city of uh, Santiago, Santiago de Compostela in northern Spain. And it's a walk, but it's also a pilgrimage. And pilgrims have been going on this walk for over a thousand years. And pilgrimages are walks or journeys to a particular destination. In this case, Santiago de Compostela, where apparently the remains of St. James lie. But the thing about pilgrimages is that although they are about the dest destination, they're actually equally about, or more so, about the journey itself. For me, that's not comfortable because I'm not used to that, as I'm guessing the majority of us here are also not used to that. And on pilgrimages, you're surrounded by loads of different people from loads of different countries, from all sorts of different backgrounds, who are on the same journey for all sorts of different reasons. And at the same time, there'll be extended periods of time when actually there'll be no one around and you'll be on your own, no one to talk to. And it's in those times when things of the past Issues from the past begin to surface, and God uses those times to begin to work through some of our brokenness, so that by the time we reach that destination, we're a changed person. We've become more the sort of person that God has created us to be. So a pilgrimage is a physical journey of transformation. And in the passage we're looking at today in Isaiah, the Lord is also calling his people on a pilgrimage, on a journey of transformation. And here in this passage, we see the incredible promise of this destination. But we also see the significance of the journey itself. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. But we've kind of just jumped into the middle of Isaiah with no real backgrounds to the book of Isaiah. So I want to give you a little background to that book. We're going to be looking at Isaiah, certainly this week and possibly next week as well. So the book of Isaiah that we know in the Bible as Isaiah is actually, in all likelihood, probably a compilation of three different books written at slightly different times, known as 1st, 2nd and 3rd Isaiah. And... Uh, the first, uh, the first book of Isaiah, 1st Isaiah, uh, was probably written by the prophet Isaiah, and 2nd and 3rd Isaiah would have been written by disciples of Isaiah, people who would have followed him and learned from him. And uh, they were written around the same time, but because they were written by different people, there are slight stylistic differences between each of the books. 
there are common themes that run throughout the whole of Isaiah, and we see a kind of continuity and progression of thought throughout the book. And they were written around the time of the Babylonian exile, and for a long time, the Jews hadn't been living in ways that honoured God. Israel, the nation of Israel, had forgotten the call that God had placed upon them. They were to be a holy nation. That was their call. Their call was to be a light to the world. That the surrounding nations would look to them and see the example of how to live in God's ways. And Israel had forgotten this. And despite loads of warnings from God, Israel refused to listen. And so in around the year 600 BC, God allowed the Babylonian Empire to take the Israelites into captivity. And exile was a dark time for the Israelite nation, for the Jewish nation. First Isaiah was written before the exile and covers chapters 1 to 39 of uh, Isaiah. Second Isaiah was written in Babylon during the exile and covers chapters 40 to 55 of, of Isaiah. And third Isaiah was written after the exile back in Jerusalem and covers chapters 56 to 66 of Isaiah. So our passage today is from 1st Isaiah, and it's written in Jerusalem before the exile was due to take place. And God, in this passage, is warning the Israelites about the exile to come. But he's also saying that exile was not the end, that he would deliver them, that he would save them. And our passage today is one in which God describes this deliverance. And we see the transformation the Israelites will experience as they go through this experience of deliverance. And because this is a passage of transformation, it's also a passage of contrasts. On the one hand, God says... But exile is going to mean hardship. And at the same time, deliverance is going to mean a return to joy and freedom. So I want to start by looking at this initial experience of exile, the hardship of exile, what that meant for the Israelite people. So if you've not got your Bible still open, do open them and Follow along with me, please. Page 719 of the Bibles, uh, Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, page 719. And if we were to cut this passage into individual words or individual phrases, what we'd end up with is almost two distinct pictures. And uh, I want to start by looking at the first picture we see in this passage. So in verse 1, God speaks about the desert. 
parched land and wilderness. In verse 3, God's, God describes feeble hands, unsteady knees, fearful hearts. In verses 5 to 7, God speaks of blind eyes, deaf ears, disabled bodies, and mute tongues. He speaks of thirsty ground, burning sands. And actually, it's a picture of total, universal bleakness. It's a picture of a dark and desolate landscape. God says in this picture that exile is going to impact the whole of creation. Political, physical, body and land, and spiritual. It's going to be a hard time. And whilst this is a dark and desolate landscape that's, that's pictured here for Israel during exile, it's also not a particularly uncommon or foreign landscape to us either. As a country and as a continent, in fact, Europe, many scholars pose the question as to whether right now we find ourselves in this exilic landscape with political instability, economies that are straining at the seams, a society that is increasingly disparate and dispersed and yet longing for community. On a personal level, all of us go, all of us go through these periods of time that seem to mirror this dark and desolate landscape. A landscape where we want to say, God, where are you? What are you doing? I need you, but I can't find you. These can be incredibly lonely times, and exile will look different for every one of us. And whilst there will be these seasons of exile for us, these where everything around just seems dark, there will also be, as followers of Jesus, particular elements of exile that are constantly with us, that we're constantly battling. And as followers of Jesus, he does allow us to go through these times because it forces us to realise that we are completely, utterly dependent upon him. And maybe for you that's Elements of exile could be about anxiety to do with body image or a need to succeed or uh, something completely different. Perhaps it could be struggles with depression or overeating or financial worries or bullying at work or relationship difficulties or addiction. Exile looks different for every one of us. 
And it's during these times that our cry is, God, where are you? In the past couple of months, I've recently come out of one of these seasons of exile where I was working through a personal issue for myself. And I know some of the pain of that. And during those times, it can be so dark, so overwhelming, that it can almost be difficult to know how to place the next step. It can feel as if we cannot move forward. It can feel disabling. And our cry during those times is, God, where are you? And actually, it's an Advent cry. It's a deep knowing, deep down, that I am incapable of moving forward on my own. That God, and only God, can help me move forward, can bring me through this. I mentioned earlier that we're currently in 1st Isaiah, uh, covering chapters 1 to 39 of Isaiah. And this was written before the exile was due to take place. And there's a reason that this passage is written before the exile. Because unless such a passage existed, there would be no way that they would be able to get through exile It would be too much. It would be utter and complete desolation. For them, it would be like the end of life. The exiles need to know that this is not the case. And we also need to know that exile is not the end. And so as Isaiah writes this, he writes it in a way that's reminiscent of the Israelite exodus 500 years earlier as God led the Israelites from slavery in Egypt through the desert into the freedom of the promised land. And God says that once again, into the middle of this desert, into the middle of this new exile, there will be a highway. And that highway is a promise of transformation. When you're stranded in a suffocating, oppressive desert, the only way that you're not going to give in and that you're not going to give up on life is is if you can continue to hope that a way will appear out of the desert. God says that this way out will be a highway of holiness that will lead them from exile in Babylon through the desert into uh, back to their homeland, Zion, Jerusalem. And because this is a promise they can depend upon, they can have hope. And so they can say to each other, as in verses 3 and 4, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come to save you. 
for those of us currently not going through these seasons of exile, this is part of our calling. This is part of what it means to be the body of Christ. That we would stand alongside those who are struggling, who are going through these dark times. And that we would be that reminder that hope still exists. And being strong and not fearing has nothing to do with this British stiff upper lip thing of trying to pretend that everything's okay when really it's not. Being strong and not fearing is actually about being completely real about the pain of the situation. But nevertheless, refusing to stop believing that God will come and that God will save. That is strength. For you, who are the people that God has placed around you to whom you may be the reminder that hope still exists, that deliverance is coming? For me, as I was going through this period a while back, God placed several people around me who were reminders that hope still exists and that I could depend on God, that salvation was possible. And these were people actually who I could be very real with, who I could share some of the pain of what was going on, and people who would hold some of that pain. And they didn't necessarily say very much either, and they didn't need to say very much, because it was their presence with me, and their willingness to sit and listen to me, or willingness just to be there as I cried, that was enough. It was the reminder that there is hope, that deliverance is possible, and deliverance will come. And in themselves, they weren't even the answer. In themselves, those people didn't bring me out the other side. But they were a reminder that there was one who could and one who would. That God would come and that God would save. Isaiah says in this passage that this way of deliverance is actually a highway of holiness. He says, The unclean will not journey on it, It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. As hard as these seasons of exile can be, if we allow him to, and we do have a choice, if we allow him to, God can use those experiences to shape us and to mould us more into the people he's calling us to be. They can have purifying and refining qualities to them. That God would use them to shave off some of the rougher edges of our character. But through them, God can actually make us holier, more like Jesus. 
And if we take that choice, if we choose to allow him to do that, actually what we'll find is that we're on this highway. And it's a highway that leads to deliverance. We have that option. There's another option as well. This first option is not a quick journey. It may be a highway, like a motorway. We know the destination. We know the way we're going. But it's a long journey. But it's one that we're nevertheless choosing to remain on. The other option we have is that we stay in that place. That we remain... that we remain in that place of exile. And we have that choice. And if we choose that, God will respect that choice. And there were many of the exiles, when it finally came for them to return to Jerusalem, who chose to remain in that place of exile. It wasn't God's plan for them, but God respects that choice. Actually, this is a choice of what happens when we lose that hope. When our hearts stop believing that God will come and that God will save. Before this exile is due to take place, the Israelites need to know that there will be a way out. For us too, we need to know that there is a way out. But hope still remains. If we allow him to, Jesus will use these experiences to shape us, to make us more holy as we walk on this highway of holiness. And as we do that, as we proceed on this journey, what we'll actually find is what's once started out as a desert dry and dusty, nothing around. As we continue to pursue that, gradually, and it will be gradually, we'll see shoots begin to appear. What once was dusty just begins to produce a bit of water. Hope begins to become more real. And slowly over time, once what was dusty becomes a bubbling stream and a flowing river. Deliverance becomes a living reality for us. And the thing about journeys and highways is that you don't start in one place and end up immediately at the destination. You actually have to go on the journey itself, which takes time. And in a culture where we're not so good at waiting, that's not something that's easy for us to do. And that's where we come into play, where we need those people around us who will remind us the hope still exists. And as we continue on that journey, gradually we'll find that we're on the outskirts of Zion, on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And actually, we're back home, that we've got through, that we've arrived at the destination that it's possible. 
in reality, this journey that Isaiah writes about, this pilgrimage of transformation, is actually our whole lives. This place, this Zion that Isaiah speaks about, this is heaven. This is eternity with Jesus, paradise. And at the same time, Isaiah also speaks here about seasons of exile that every one of us go through at one time or another. May we be a church who are not afraid to be that body of Christ, who will stand alongside each other and say to each other, do not fear, your God will come and your God will save. Sometimes that takes time. Sometimes our presence with each other is enough. Shall we pray?